Uh, Would you please turn with me to your study outlines? And as you're turning, let me welcome those of you that are joining us online. Peter Wilson, uh, who's our media pastor, has informed me that over 500 people every week join us for services online. So it's like another entire uh, service of people that are joining us online. We're so glad that you're with us, as well as let me welcome our friends at First Baptist Church in Arco, Idaho, the Hangar in Montana, First Baptist Church in Kalispell, Montana, and also Purpose Church Rancho Cucamonga. We are so glad uh, that you're joining us today for our study of God's Word. Part one, we talked about fear of what other people think about us. In part two, we talked about fear of being vulnerable. Part three, last Sunday, we talked about fear of death. And now we're going to go in an unusual direction today, satanophobia, the fear of Satan. There's actually, that's the actual word. It's actually got a definition in the uh, dictionary. Satanophobia, fear of Satan, satanic control, or devils closely related to fear of demons, fear of the boogeyman. That's actually in the definition. The boogeyman. I never knew that boogeymans are, are ghosts. That's basically what they are. How, how many of you are glad you came to church this morning to find that out? Uh, the boogeyman is uh, ghosts or apparitions. Uh, fear of witches and witchcraft and fear of ghosts. Now, the day that we most uh, closely associate with this is Halloween. And I thought it was a good time to talk about it because we are exactly six months away from Halloween on either direction. And this can be, I don't want to use the word controversial, that's probably too strong of a word, but it's been a matter of dispute between Christians as to how or if to celebrate Halloween. So I always find the best time to talk about something is when it's really far away, okay? We can be dispassionate about it, and so it's six months in either direction. And so let me give you the history of Halloween. It dates back to the Celtic Festival of Sowen, and I called it the Celtic the whole time at 8.30, and somebody told me, get word to Glenn. I got it through Pastor Greg. Tell Glenn it's Celtic, not Celtic. But I never heard of the Boston Celtics. Have you? You know, they're always the Boston Celtics. So anyway, I'm going to say Celtic, and from now on, I'm going to say Celtic, uh, which was a three-day celebration starting on October 31st. Now, those of you that are Laker fans, didn't you always think that there was something evil about the origin of the Celtics? I I just, you know, I just kind of, this doesn't surprise me in any way. All right. On the night of October 31st, Celtic people believed that the line between the living and the dead was blurred. And so they thought the ghosts of the dead returned to earth to cause trouble and to damage crops. Now, there's a horror film you haven't seen lately, The Crushing of the Corn Crop or The uh, Scattering of the Wheat Crop. But back then, that would be a horror show. That would be a matter of terror to have your, your crops damaged. That would be a scary thing. Celtic people would build big bonfires, dress up in costumes to frighten away these spirits. They also wore masks, hoping the spirits would pass them by and not recognize them. They left treats at the door in an effort to appease the evil spirits so that they would leave them alone. Now, 50 AD, around the time of Jesus, the Roman Empire had conquered most of uh, Great Britain or England or the Celtic territory. And so the Romans changed the Celtic festival into a day of to honor and to remember uh, the dead. Now it's the 6th or 7th century uh, AD, and many of the Celtic people, because missionaries had gone up uh, from the Middle East to share Christ up in Britannia, uh, because the Christians had migrated up there, many of the Celtic people had become Christians and followers of Christ. And so the church decided to try to redeem 
this day, okay? In the same way that we have the hallelujah uh, party, or now it's called the fall festival. In the same way we as a church try to take the day of Halloween and redeem it and leverage it and use it strategically to connect people with Jesus, well, the early church tried to do the same thing until finally in the 8th century, Pope Gregory III, there you'll see his picture right there, he designated November 1st to honor saints and martyrs. We call it All Saints Day. The Pope reasoned that if, it's, if the day is about good and evil and defeating evil, let's redeem it, uh, this holiday, for God. Let's wrestle it away from its pagan origins, and let's make it about defeating Satan. And so the night before All Saints Day became known as All Hallows' Eve or Halloween. Uh, people dressed up in costumes. They had bonfires and parades. Now, over time, it kind of lost its religious meaning and religious overtones, as so often happens in things, and it developed into what we know it today as kind of a secular community event focusing on kids' activities like trick-or-treat. Americans today spend about $6 billion on Halloween. It makes it the second biggest, uh, largest commercial holiday in the United States, second only to Christmas. Christmas is number one, and Halloween uh, is, is number two. So, uh, how to overcome the fear of Satan, uh, demons, and, and of ghosts? Uh, number one, don't live in denial. I've seen contradictory research on this. Uh, one I recently saw was that six out of every ten Christians in the United States don't believe in a literal Satan. Sixty percent don't believe in a literal Satan. Now, that's in contradiction to a statistic I saw a few years ago that said more Americans believe in a literal Satan than believe in God. And both were very high. It was like 97, 95% believed in a literal Satan, 93% uh, believed in God. And so I think sometimes uh, those that don't follow Christ have a better sense that there's gotta be somebody behind the evil in the world. When you see just horrific things that happen, you say, man, did we, did, are we really that bad? Did we come up on that on our own? Or is there a, a personification of evil? Is there Satan? Is there a literal Satan in the world? And sometimes non-Christ followers uh, believe this more easily than Christ followers do. Certainly Hollywood does. Every time you turn around, there's some new movie on the occult or demon possessions or, or on Satan. And sometimes I think they take Satan more seriously uh, than we do. And so we got to be very, very careful that we don't live in denial. Malcolm Muggeridge, great quote. One of the peculiar sins of the 20th century, which we have developed to a very high level, is the sin of being open to anything. It has been said that when human beings stop believing in God, they believe in nothing. The truth is much worse. They believe in anything. Only thing more dangerous than believing in nothing is that you believe in anything. Uh, Peter writes, be controlled and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, where did Satan and his demons come from? Ezekiel says, this is what the sovereign Lord says. You, Satan, were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the Garden of Eden, the Garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you, carnelian, chrysolite, and emerald, topaz, onyx, and jasper, lapis lazuli, turquoise, and beryl. Your settings and mountainings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones, that is the pavement of heaven. 
You were blameless in your ways from the days you were created. Now, that's important. Satan is not eternal, co-eternal with God. He is a created being. Uh, Jesus and God are, are eternity, past, present, and future. He, on the other hand, Satan is a created being till wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God, and I expelled you, guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud. Now that is at the root of the problem with Satan and his influence in the world today. It all comes back to pride. That's why God says so much about humility. Jesus is the epitome of humility. Satan is the epitome of pride. He says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. So many of the problems in the Christian life stem from pride. And so many of the blessings in the Christian life come from humility. And so it says, your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. Isaiah writes, how you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You've been cast down to earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. Okay, he said, I, I can do a better job of running the universe than God can. I'm smarter than God. Every time in our culture, we say we're smarter than God. Every time in our lives, we say, you know, I think I can run my life better than God. I could run this world better than God. That is authored by Satan. This is where the problem began. I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the Mount of Assembly, on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. I can run the universe better than God can. And every time we buy into that, that's where the problem comes. Revelation says the great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. This is how he leads us astray. Whenever he says the lie, you're smarter than God. God's not as smart as you. You can make better decisions. You can decide what's right and wrong uh, better than God can. He leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Now we believe it was about a third of the angels that rebelled with Satan against God and these become uh, the demons under Satan's leadership. Uh, you'll see his names there in front of you in the study outline. Uh, Satan, the devil, the serpent, Lucifer, son of the morning, the evil one, the dragon, the prince or ruler, the prince of the power of the air, the tempter, the accuser of the brethren, the God of the age, the wicked one, the father of lies, Beelzebub, or literally in the Greek it means the Lord of filth. Now here's the, um, here's the important thing to remember about Satan. is the, He is not of equal power with God. He is a created being. He's not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere at the same time. He's not omnipotent. There's a limitation on his power. For my quiet time, I've been reading on my own devotions, been reading the book of Job, and it's very clear that, that God sets limitations uh, to Satan's power. He's not omniscient. He doesn't know all. He can't read your mind. And so this is not an equal battle going on where we have to bite our nails and wonder who's going to win in the end. This is not yin versus yang. This is not good versus evil, and the two are equally strong. This is not the dark side of the force against the good side of the force, okay? 
Uh, this is not the Golden State Warriors against the San Antonio Spurs. And Stephen Curry's ankle is injured. This is not where the uh, outcome is in dispute. This is not the Lakers against the Pee Wee League. Um, uh, this, uh, uh, this is the Lakers against the Pee Wee League, I should say. Uh, this is um, a one-on-one Kobe Bryant against Glenn Gunderson. That's, that's what this is here. Okay. Or to put it another way, here's a picture of uh, our two dogs. This is uh, Millie, the 130-pound St. Bernard. And uh, this is Floyd, who's the uh, boxer mix. And they wrestle and fight all day long. They wrestle all day long. And it's really an equal battle because Millie's bigger, but Floyd is faster. And so you really can't tell who's going to win that. But this is not Millie versus Floyd. This is Millie versus Lady. Okay, Lady is my son's family dog. And you can hold her in the palm of your hand. This is St. Bernard versus whatever that dog is. I'm not exactly sure. Okay. Um, now you have a full theological understanding of what I'm talking about, right? We've got, we've got this whole thing clear. Next page of your study outline. We don't want to be in denial, but we also don't want to be superstitious. C.S. Lewis, great quote on this. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. See the opposites? Denial, which is we disbelieve in their existence, but the opposite is to be superstitious, to have an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. Okay, that's why people avoid black cats, because the idea on Halloween goes back to the belief that witches turn themselves into black cats in order to avoid being detected. Um, what uh, young women used to do on Halloween, they would toss apple peels over their shoulders, believing that the peels would form the initials of their future husbands. Young ladies, I don't want to see you doing that this afternoon. Everybody's going to make a beeline to Stater Brothers and uh, get some apples and throw them over. Uh, but we, we, we need to be careful not to give in to superstition. We do it in many subtle ways. Yesterday, our family was playing a board game out on the back deck, and we're all together there, and we're kind of talking in between turns. And we were talking about our daughter, Abby, who's uh, uh, the fourth of our four grandchildren coming in like a 10-month period. And uh, we are talking about she may need a scheduled C-section. And so they said, well, one of the dates it might be is May 13th. And somebody in our family, I won't say who, said, you can't do it then. That's Friday the 13th. And I said, look, guys, I'm preaching on this tomorrow, okay? Uh, you know, if she needs to have that C-section on Friday the 13th, May 13th, uh, uh, she's going to have it. First Timothy 4, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly, okay? So we don't have to worry about uh, these superstitions, jack-o'-lanterns. Originally, they were not pumpkins at all. As a matter of fact, the Celtic people didn't even grow pumpkins. Uh, they were turnips. Did you know the original jack-o'-lanterns were carved turnips? And so Charlie Brown shouldn't have been talking to the great pumpkin. It should have been the great turnip is what it should have been. So if you really want to be authentic, you will carve turnips and, instead of pumpkins. But these superstitions have no power o- over us. You don't have to freak out over a jack-o'-lantern. A jack-o'-lantern has no power over us. God is in control. Okay, you don't have to have a fear of black cats or broken mirrors or a bad horoscope. Uh, you shouldn't even be reading them, but if you did and it was something bad, you don't have to be afraid of that. It has no power over you. God is in control. Colossians 2 
See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Now let's deal with a a few questions that people have, and and there's much more you could go into this, uh, but, you know, uh, I just want to kind of give a brief answer on some of these that people, uh, a lot of questions that people ask. Let's just do three of them. First of all, are ghosts real? And the answer is no. In the sense that uh, people come back from the dead and haunt us, absolutely not. I believe that when people encounter what they believe to be ghosts, it's either their imagination or it's the demonic. That, that's what I personally believe, that that, that, that is uh, demonic that they're encountering, uh, not ghosts, not that people come back from the dead and haunt us. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in Hebrews 9, just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. The Bible says you don't come back in reincarnation. You don't come back and haunt somebody. You don't come back from the dead. We die once, and after that we stand before God in judgment, and we are either prepared for that by receiving Jesus as our Savior and Lord, or we are not prepared for that. And there's not a second chance. There's not a coming back, especially not to haunt people. A second question, can a Christian be demon-possessed? And I believe the answer to that is absolutely not. I love what my friend Dane Ocker said. He said, would a gangster become roommates with the chief of police? Okay. No demon wants to become roommates with the Holy Spirit. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial, which in the Greek means the worthless one? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever, okay? So I don't believe that Christians can be possessed, but I do believe they can be oppressed by Satan. Here's what I mean by that. When we come to Christ, Satan, the roaring lion, has got a leash on him, okay? He's limited in his reach and in his power, and he's got a chain on him like a dog in a backyard. And God puts a stake down. Now, he's got a reach of about 10 yards radius in, in, in any direction, okay? He's got a reach, But as long as we stay out of his activities, we're just fine, okay? We can't be possessed, even if we did get in there, but we can't even be oppressed by him as long as we keep our distance. But when we wander into his area, yeah, we can be oppressed by him, and and there is a danger with that. Now, that leads us to our next question. Should we participate in Halloween? And the quote I, we often use here at our church, I use it at every one of our starting point classes, is from Augustine, who was a pastor in 400 AD. He said, in essentials unity, in non-essentials liberty, and in all things charity. So that means in the essentials of the faith, the things that the Bible clearly teaches, uh, like the deity of Christ and the second coming of Christ and, and like G- Jesus' death for us on the cross and, and his resurrection, th- those things We need to have unity as a church, and those are the things we include in our statement of faith. But in non-essentials, by non-essentials, I don't mean they're not important. I believe we should have studied and have convictions on a wide variety of things. But there are certain things that sincere Christians can disagree on agreeably. And we can get along with each other, we can be in the same church with each other. Here's a good example. Uh, the, The Bible teaches that Jesus is returning someday. But the exact order of events is something that Christians disagree on. Pre-trib, pre-mill, post-trib, uh, post-mill, ah-mill, 
pan mill. It'll all pan out in the end, you know. And so um, the oldest joke in Christianity told by John to Peter around a campfire in around 70 AD. And so at, at, at any rate, uh, those things we don't put in our statement of faith. We put the second coming of Christ in our statement of faith, but we don't put a specific order of events in there because we believe in non-essentials liberty. We can be free as Christians to disagree agreeably on those things and still be a part of the same church family. And in all things, charity, love is what makes that all work. Now, I believe that participation in Halloween is one of those non-essentials where we can have a liberty. Okay, here's, here's my take on it. You should never violate your conscience. And so if your conscience says no, then, then don't celebrate it, okay? Now, I'm going to reveal something about Kimberly and my marriage. This is the one area where we are unequally yoked, Okay? I mean, it's amazing. Kimberly and I, you know, we agree on 99.9% of things. Uh, in matters of faith, we have believe, we've agreed 99.9% of the time. Even on things like politics, we like completely are in agreement with each other. Almost 99 plus, plus uh, percent, uh, we are in agreement with each other. But here's the one area we fight about. Unfortunately, it's only once a year. Okay, it's once a year when we are unequally yoked. Okay. Uh, she just really has a hang-up with uh, Halloween. So you will not see her here at the Hallelujah Party or the Fall Festival. She will be in a darkened house so nobody thinks they're at home in a back room with a flashlight in the Bible. That's where she will be, you know. Um, and, and so she says, I'm going to have no part of Satan's high holiday and uh, don't want any part of that. Her husband, on the other hand, loves Halloween. It's like one of my favorites. I, I, I think it's awesome. I'm, I'm with Pope Gregory Third. I, I love to redeem it. And so I think Halloween is one of the best opportunities I have to get to know our neighbors and to care about their kids. And I love so much the new thing we're doing here. We used to use the fall festival or hallelujah party as an alternative to Halloween. Now we do it the Friday before Halloween. So I get to celebrate it twice. It's like, yes. So, so on the, the Friday before, we have the hallelujah party here. Now, now it's called the fall festival. And we will have more of our neighbors on campus, our immediate neighbors, than any other event we do the entire year, okay? Now, I'm not saying the most visitors. That would be Easter at Fairplex or come celebrate Christmas or Christmas Eve. But I'm talking about thousands of our immediate neighbors, people in our immediate neighborhood here around our church, thousands here on campus. And we have a chance to love them, to show love to their kids. We even, in low-key ways, have a chance to share the gospel with them. I mean, it's just, it's just awesome. It is like the best connectional event we do. And then now I get to do that and do, actually on Halloween, be at our house. Now, our house, we live on the south side of Lincoln Park here in Pomona. And it is literally one of the most highly trafficked trick-or-treat areas in the whole Inland Valley. Literally thousands of children come by our door. I mean, this last year, my goodness, we were there like four of us, and we're just like slamming candy in. They're like one after another, and just like, it was just like nonstop for hours. And what we do is we're generous with the candy, and we also put in there either a gospel track or an invitation to our church. And so we're just like going crazy all night. Invitation to our church, our gospel track, and, 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 and candy in, in their bags. And, and, and you get to talk to your neighbors. People actually come out of their houses in Southern California, you know, and talk to each other. It's just like, scary. that's what's scary about it. I mean, that's, that was a frightening thing, you know. And, and so I like it. And like Pope Gregory III, I like to leverage it 
uh, for God's purposes. But if, if it's a matter of your conscience, like it is for my wife, Kimberly, if your conscience says no, then, then, then don't do it. And essentials unity and non-essentials liberty and in all things charity. Now, on the other hand, I want you to know I take spiritual realities very, very seriously. I mean, the movies I watch, I don't want to be within the reach of the roaring lion. Places I go, things I read, I mean, stuff like drugs, alcohol, pornography, sexual immorality, these are huge open doors for Satan and his demons in your life. Even so-called innocent things like horoscopes, Ouija boards, magic eight balls, palm readers, I think take us within the reach of where the lion's chained. And I believe we should just stay far away from them. Why mess with it? It could open the door to not possession, but to oppression. It's just not a laughing matter. The Bible says that we are in a war zone. We are in the middle of a war. It says in Ephesians 6, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, number three, understand Satan's schemes. Paul writes, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. We have to be like a football coach going over the plays of the opposing team. We need to be alert to his, to his schemes. Now, Satan can't possess us, but he can use us. Uh, you see this with Peter and Jesus in Mark chapter 8. Jesus has just said, I'm, I'm going to go to the cross and die, okay? And Peter goes, not on my watch. No way. God forbid, absolutely not going to happen. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, get behind me, Satan. Here was the future leader of the early church. Get behind me, Satan, he said. Now, here's the problem. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. We need to be careful that when our friends feel called by God to do something, we don't talk them out of it. Okay, sometimes there's a time for that, okay? Godly counsel. The Bible says there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. And so sometimes we, we can give each other wisdom. I'm not saying that, but we need to be very careful to check our motives that are we arguing against this thing that God has called them to do because we have in mind the concerns, not the concerns of God, but we are looking at it merely from a human concern perspective. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. About 25 years ago, Kimberly and I started adopting children, and four of our six children are adopted, and we had our two girls that were born to us uh, that were four and five, and we're going to go to an orphanage in Cali, Columbia, and adopt two boys that were seven and eight. And it was weird to adopt boys that were older than our birth daughters. This was a, an unusual thing. We felt called by God to do it, but I, I know there's great, you know, you know, be careful about that. I'm not necessarily recommending it unless the Lord made it very clear, but he had made it clear to us. And, and so we were starting to adopt children. And my poor dad was given the assignment to talk sense into his son. Okay. Uh, my dad was a godly man president of a lumber company, businessman, but he devoted his life to raising money for missions. He just was always the chairman of our missions board, just devoted his life to either giving to missions or organizing other people to give to missions. One of the most godly men I've ever known, but I'm sure my sisters and my mother leaned on him to talk to Glenn Jr. because that crazy wife of his is leading him to do crazy stuff. They got to understand 
We're Swedish. We're Scandinavian. We love Jesus, but we don't do crazy stuff. Okay. We love Jesus, but not in a wacky kind of way. Okay. And so, and so he calls me up and he says, you know, we're concerned about this. I want to express our concern. Uh, and, and so I said to my dad, get thee behind me, Satan. I didn't say that to my dad. I did not say that to my dad. I didn't say that. But, but I basically said, Dad, I appreciate your concern. I know it's out of love. I know it's out of concern. But, you know, we just really feel that, that God is leading us to do it. And you can tell he was like, okay, I've done my duty. Bye, man. You know. <laughs> now I can get your mother and my sister. Your sister's off my back. You know what I mean? I've done, I've done my duty. Okay, fast forward 25 years later. Uh, one of those boys um, from the orphanage grows up to, his, his heart is to give financially to missionaries and, and uh, just has a real heart for that, spiritual gift of giving, I believe. Uh, his brother, John, um, he goes to Bible school in Lima, Peru, meets a, a girl there, Natalia, who's a Christian, and they meet in church together there. She's a pediatrician. Um, they, they fall in love, start a little family here, and, uh, and now they're going back in a couple of months to be missionaries to Peru. And he's going to be the head of the uh, food director for the Bible Institute, the Bible school there in Cajamarca, a city of about a quarter of a million up in the foothills of Andes near the Ecuadorian border. And he's going to be the director of food services there uh, for the Bible school, and she'll use her medical skill as a medical missionary, uh, her, her skills as a pediatrician. And, 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 and we're totally cool with that. Kimberly and I are totally cool with that as long as they don't take her. They leave her behind, we're down with it, okay? But they're threatening to take her to another country. And so my son John had to say to me, get thee behind me, Satan. He didn't say that. But we got to be careful that we don't have the concerns, merely human concerns, but instead we have the concerns of God. Even as we counsel and we release each other to what God has called us to do. Now, Satan and his demons can be obvious. We see this in the Bible. We see it in a lot of different places, in our own country and different places around the world. They can afflict us spiritually, physically, and mentally with, the Bible says, sickness, fierceness, unusual strength, convulsions, foaming at the mouth, audibly speaking. I have this theory that wherever the gospel is going for the first time, there you will see more obvious evidence of the satanic and the demonic when it's making inroads into, into new territory. But that's not just in other places. That can be here as well. It can be in your life. Whenever you take on new spiritual territory, he will hassle you the most, in the most obvious way. Anybody want to say amen to that? Do you agree with that? That's happened in your life? You try something new. You say, well, you just say you're going to follow Jesus. You know, or for the people that are getting baptized today, uh, taking a stand for Jesus, he'll harass you in a more obvious way. Um, you'd make a decision that you're just gonna, um, you're just gonna worship God more regularly, not just occasionally on Sunday mornings, but you're gonna be here every Sunday. And I tell you, the 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 demon of your kids spitting up on their new outfit will go into your home. And you're going you're gonna to be getting those kids ready. And, uh, and then the demon of families fighting with each other will, will get there in your car all the way to church. And you're going to say, I can't believe we're going to church. We don't argue like this on the way to school. But on the way to church, oh my goodness, you know. How many of you find that sometimes there's more opposition to you getting to church than getting to school or work? And where I do, you know. 
Oh, I actually, I don't. Um, I get here early in the morning, let Kimberly hassle with all that. That's been one of the benefits of being a pastor is, honey, you get the kids here to church. I'll be here serving God, you know. So, so at any rate, uh, you get into new territory. You make some new decision to serve God. You say, I'm going to teach that second grade class of kids, and I'm going to share Jesus with them in Awana, and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to become a worker in our youth ministry. You, you, you say some new area of service, and there will be obvious opposition at, at that when you move into new spiritual territory in your own life. I've only told this story, I think, publicly about one other time. I, I've probably shared it with you before, but it's not like my usual stories that I share over and over again. Uh, this one's a little weird, a little bit out there, so I think I've only shared it once before, but I'm sorry. Starting out as a new pastor, I'm 24 years old, a single pastoring little country church up near the Canadian border in upstate New York. And uh, back then, I didn't get my sermons done early in the week like I do now. I still had bad habits left over from college and seminary. So I would finish my sermon about midnight or one in the morning on Saturday night, crawl out of bed on Sunday morning, and, and preach with great power the next morning, you know, in tiredness, yeah. And, and, and so, at any rate, uh, I was in the church, and it was like an older building, kind of, a, you know, how churches can be a little bit creepy when you're all by yourself in an older building at night. So I'm sitting there at my desk at midnight, all alone in this old structure at night. And all of a sudden, I'm telling you, I felt the presence of Satan more powerfully than I've ever felt in my life. Hair stood up on the back of my neck, and he was there in my office. And so I said, Jesus, should I rebuke him in your name and stay here, or may I go home? <laughs> he said, you can go home. I come in the next day thinking, oh, your mind just got away from you. You know, you just got these silly thoughts alone in a church late at night. It's easier for your imagination. To Open up the door the next morning. I hear my office boards strewn across my desk. Books, bookshelves all over. Big plywood right there on my typewriter. Books strewn all over my office. And I realized he was just firing a warning shot to a young pastor just starting out in ministry. And it gets less as time goes on. Once he, he figures out you're determined to do this thing, he backs away somewhat. But new territory, Satan and his demons, can be more obvious. Wayne Grudem writes, There is no reason to think that there's any less demonic activity in the world today than there was at the time of the New Testament. We are in the same time period in God's overall plan for history. Now, demon and, Satan and his demons can be subtle, too, and I think that's the way they usually are. Okay, it's a, we, we worry about certain things, and sometimes it's the other things that we should be worried about because they're, they're more subtle. This caught my attention because Kimberly and I just flew a couple of weeks ago up to one of our uh, uh, friends up in Montana and uh, in the churches up there that connect with us. And so um, this was on the CNN News app. Uh, what do you think the dirtiest place on an airplane is? Okay, you'd guess like the bathroom flush button or something like that, you know. Uh, the tray that you eat off of. They found 10 times more germs on that tray than they did on the bathroom flush button. Yeah, that pretzel doesn't look so attractive off of your tray anymore, does it? You know, it's the obvious stuff we watch out for. It's the stuff that we don't think about that will get us. Satan and his demons, they tempt us. They promote false doctrine. They fill our minds with lies. They oppose God's work. They blind people to the gospel. Paul says, Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. John Steinbeck said, never trust the smile of a tiger. 
Number four, we've got to stand on Christ's victory. 1 John 3, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Wayne Grudem writes, there will be a genuine and often immediately recognizable triumph over the power of the enemy. We should expect that this would happen. Think of it as a normal part of the work of Christ in building up his kingdom and rejoice in Christ's victory in it. As a matter of fact, um, we're coming down the home stretch, but uh, let's just pray the Lord's Prayer together because that talks a lot about spiritual warfare. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Deliver us not from evil or literally in the Greek, it can mean the evil one. Every day when we pray the Lord's Prayer, you know, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil in the world or the evil one behind that evil. Let's put that up there so we're all in the same translation. Out loud, together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And God's people said, amen. The authority is found in Jesus Christ. Colossians 2. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. James 2, you believe that there's one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. It's Satan and his demons who need to be fearful. We in Christ can be fearless. They're the ones that need to shudder. We are fearless. Number five, fight with spiritual weapons. 2 Corinthians 10, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. We don't wage it with physical weapons. We do it with love, with mercy, with grace, with prayer, and with scripture. Pastor Brian did a great two-part series on spiritual warfare up at, um, at Claremont at the Hub earlier this month. And he said the main two ways we fight are on our knees in prayer and with God's word. These are our main two weapons. Don't be intimidated by Satan. James 4, submit yourselves then to God. Got to obey him. Don't get the promise till we do the first part. Now, we're not perfect. That's why Jesus died on the cross for us. But if we got major areas of disobedience in our life, if we are walking within the reach of the lion staked over here too closely, uh, the second part, promise doesn't work. Submit yourselves then to God. Obey him in every area in your life in which you're able to. Then resist the devil, and he will flee from you. John writes, the one, Jesus, who was born of God, keeps them, us, safe. And the evil one cannot harm them, cannot harm us. John also writes, you, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. And all God's family said. Let's stand for the benediction. Prayer room is open. You want prayer partners, prayer team to pray for you about any area in your life. We've seen miracles come out of that room. It's open right here on the main floor to my left, to your right. They would love to pray with you if in any way that would be a help or an encouragement to you.
Let's close in our benediction with Jude verses 24 and 25. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. And all God's family said, amen. God bless you. Have a great day.